0: Welcome to the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at secondhand books and so much more. I'm Jordan Rich, and we've been doing these for well over a year now, uh, into the 70s, the numbers of casts, and they're so much fun. Thanks to my good friend Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop in Boston, on the web, brattlebookshop.com. And Ken, uh, earlier in another episode, we were talking about people coming by, and, and they're very excited, thinking they have an original, and who wouldn't be? But oftentimes, you have to sort of remind them what it is they actually have. So we're going to talk about that situation today.
1: Well, one of the things that happens both at the store many times or even when I do things like lectures at libraries and at the end I do appraisals or the antiques roadshow, inevitably, somebody will come in and go or call up and say, I have a Declaration of Independence. Well, how do you know it's a Declaration of Independence? Usually – the same thing well it's all handwritten it's been in the family for a hundred years or more and it's all on that sort of brown paper Mm. that's you know you can tell how old it is and i go that's probably not the original it's probably the facsimile it's probably what you can go down to washington and go to the archives and they have a bookstore where they sell souvenir gifts and I, I said, that's probably what you have. And I'll, I'll also give some other very prominent examples. And they go, well, yeah, but it's old. And I said, well, and it's got all the signatures on it. And I said, well, first of all, the original, the first edition is in the archives. Mm. You don't have that. Right. right. Second of all, the first edition that they printed was on plain white paper. There were no signatures on it. And it went out immediately, and it would not be on crinkly brown paper. The crinkly brown paper that you see is made to look old because that's what people in the tourist shops and in the bookstores want to buy. And they were making those 100 years ago or 150 Mm. years ago. So one of the things that I try to explain to people is if I had the original and I had the facsimile next to each other, I can easily explain to you why they're different. Or, if you looked at the two, you could probably pick them out instantly. But it's almost impossible to verbally explain. Now, what I have in front of me here is I have uh, this thing that says, uh, four score and seven years ago, our father. Oh, that sounds oddly uh, familiar. Yeah. Uh, well, it's Abraham Lincoln. It's his signature. It's his handwriting. But it's a facsimile. Now, they say, but wait a minute, I heard of a copy just selling for tens of thousands of dollars, and they actually did make some printed copies that they sold at the end of the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln actually did sign. Uh, They didn't sell a lot of them, but they're on plain white paper. They're ink signatures. They're not brown and crumbly because the paper they had at that time was perfectly fine. So people come in. The the main things that people show up with— either, again, at the Antiques Roadshow, at my talks and lectures— I'm going to look at this one while you talk about it. —is the most common things are the New York Herald newspaper with Lincoln's assassination. Mm -hmm. And people come in, and one of the things you have to be very careful of, at least from my point, is I could probably look across the room, see them coming, without even looking at it, saying to them, that's a facsimile. The problem is if you do that, people feel you're just – you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. You're you are taking advantage. Uh, in the, but the main thing is they want some attention. They want you to actually look at it. They want you to touch it, to hold it. So I do that, and then a minute later tell them it's a facsimile.
0: I, I have a question, and uh, the, maybe it's urban myth that he wrote the uh, Gettysburg Address in the back of an envelope.
1: Well, I don't think it was quite on the back of an envelope, but he he scribbled it scribbled up, pretty, it on pretty something. pretty
0: fast. But likely he didn't present it like this. No, he definitely uh, did not uh,
1: present it as. Uh, first
0: of all, he if he did, he didn't need lines on the paper. He writes perfect.
1: Well, uh, no, they they sometimes, but they yeah. they also did copies of it after, copies, and then right. it was printed, and he hand wrote a few copies of it. So yeah, it does show up. Uh, the interesting part about it is if you see the first edition of the Gettysburg Address printed. It was actually in a pamphlet uh, Mm. that was done at the time. In other words, they put out a pamphlet. Uh, Edward Everett, who was actually the governor of Massachusetts, had—it's like— He spoke for, what, three hours or something? It was a couple of hours (laughs) he spoke for. And then at the very back, there's a few paragraphs. Lincoln spoke for a couple of minutes gave the Gettysburg Address, one of the greatest addresses uh, and speeches ever given. And it was like, okay, and I'm done.
0: (laughs) That's a great story. But I can understand how people would be swept away by this because of of our notion that everything that looks old must be real.
1: It it looks old and it's crinkly and maybe a little bit fragile. Mm. But actually, paper from that period was fairly easy to get. Mm -hmm. So the newspaper of Lincoln's assassination, the New York Herald, many times if I'm at an Antiques Roadshow, what I almost have to do to the people is you look, you say, they go, how can you tell? Well, it's very hard to to explain somebody who's not used to old paper, old items, old things that, well, it would look like this and look like that. But you know that they're a little unsure because you've said it so explicitly. So what I usually do is at the antiques Roadshow, there are three book appraisers. And the people know that they've talked to me, but they don't know about maybe one of the others. And if they're there, I'll go to them and I'll hold it up and I'll go, what do you think of this? And they'll go, it's a facsimile, and which sort of reassures the person because we see usually five or six of them every mm. show. Uh, the um, Ulster County Gazette newspaper is another one, which is the first really uh, – of. George Washington's death, but we know it because we see it over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. So there are some things like that that come up. Some other things are a little bit more difficult. Uh, When I do my talks, I talk about one of the rarest and most valuable pieces of American literature. It's a little pamphlet here called Tamerlane by a Bostonian done in 1827. The Bostonian who did it was Edgar Allan Poe. Ah. Uh, I'll give the short version of it. The first—he hated it. He tried to destroy all the copies. It was his first item that he ever did. He was unknown. Nobody cared about it. It actually is pretty awful. But the first copy to ever really show up was in the 1890s in Boston. Someone spotted it there, Uh, sold it in 1890 for There were a couple of postmen in New Bedford in the 1950s who were book scouts, went to a yard sale, bottom of a trunk, found a Tamerlane. Although they argued about it and never spoke, they started out best of friends. In the 50s, they sold it for $10,000. An antique dealer died in Newburyport 20, 25 years ago. His whole estate was auctioned, books for a few hundred dollars. Person who bought it Put them in a box, $15 each. In uh, 25 years ago, sold it for $198,000. One sold a few years ago for $800,000. And I point out that the one you're holding in your hand right now is a facsimile.
0: Wow. And I, I have two things to say. Number one, um, only because we recently taped a show with the name Cowper, C O W P E R, right?
1: Yeah, different.
0: Different Cowper? Different, okay. totally different. Just thought I'd ask. And the second thing is, I'm looking at this, and I don't see Edgar Allan Poe's name anywhere no, in this. No, it just said buy a Boston. Buy a Boston. He was 14 years old. It says at the time.
1: Yeah. Well. Oh, well first wrote But yeah, it, it you wouldn't know that it was Poe. So, what happens with something like this is, it and the reason it shows up like on a 10 cent table in a yard sale in uh, with an antique dealer's lot is because. Unless you know what it is you you don't associate you don't Not know at all. You, it, so yeah. it it is one of those items that's sort of like where's the next copy, wheres it sitting and then I tell people the other problem is that this facsimile, if you didn't know that the paper isn't right, that this was probably done in about the nineteen twenties maybe a hundred years later, if you didn't know it and know the type of paper it should be. You could find this and go, I just found a million dollars. Right. And then you look at it and I'd say, yeah, except it's the later edition. Well,
0: we're not talking about the Shroud of Turin and all the testing they do with that, but it's not hard to figure out if something is of that age.
1: Well, it actually, one of the things that I was, I'm going to talk about a few other things and then point out nowadays that might be an issue. Uh, Other things that affect similes, we get people calling I have a book uh, it's signed by the author and almost always if it's underneath the picture at the front of the book and it's signed it's almost always printed machine uh, machine done print uh, engraved whatever and you know it was just a nice fancy heading nobody was intending to to defraud to anybody right, right. nobody was uh, intending to uh, cause problems but you know, they, they look the same because they are. Um, Mark Twain, when he put out a lot of his books, especially in the later years, there's in some of the books is this is a true and authentic copy, and it's signed Mark Twain in every single one of the books. And I point out to people, he did not sign a 25-volume set Every single book that sold maybe five or 6,000 editions of the set, he, his hand would have fallen off. But it is his signature. It is his handwriting. It just is printed in every one. The reason it's there, I tell people, is not, again, to deceive anybody mm. to defraud. But he was having a huge problem that people were stealing—publishers were stealing his work, printing copies of the books— And he wasn't getting any money from it. So he, in a lot of his books, would put this printed signature in to let you know at least that you were buying uh, something that he was benefiting from. Uh, Another uh, instance that came up recently, in the 1980s and 90s, there was a publisher that put out facsimile beautiful, beautiful facsimile editions of literature. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, Catch-22. I mean, and these were beautiful, beautiful copies, wonderfully done. It was almost like joining a club. There were 50 or 60 of them. One of the things that happens in modern literature, like The Great Gatsby, let's say, The book itself is valuable. The dust jacket is incredibly rare and hard to get. The book got read. People took their dust jacket off. That dust jacket, in perfect shape, can be worth almost $200,000, just the jacket. Well, this was such a beautiful reproduction and beautifully done. And nowhere in the reproduction did it say, this is a reproduction, facsimile, reprint, that what was starting to happen is people were actually trying to s- deceive people. They'd get an old copy. They'd put the facsimile mm-hmm. dust jacket on it. And unless you were sophisticated enough to know exactly the type of paper that the dust jacket was made out of, exactly how it was done, that people were actually using that. So they, so book dealers went to this publisher and— told them what was going on. So now when they did their later editions, they always put facsimile either on the inside where you couldn't see it, but you know to look for it. So in that case, they did such a wonderful job making copies that they did uh, they did have that. Now, one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll end this one with, because they're example after example of nobody trying to deceive anybody, but they made copies that way you could even see a copy. You could have it. You could see what the original—maybe you couldn't afford the original. But there was recently a uh, a case. It, it started with an Italian dealer. It went through a dealer in New York where they made copies of Galileo's works. They made copies of uh, a Columbus letter that Columbus wrote to the king and queen of Spain— talking about his voyages to the Americas. They're worth tens of thousands or million. literally, the Columbus letter into the mm-hmm. millions of dollars. Well, there was a, uh, a, a book dealer, sort of librarian in Italy, who nowadays, with modern technology and doing huge amounts of study, literally could make facsimiles on paper that would test right, on printing that would test right, on— Unless you put it through incredible tests, because you brought up the crowd the shot of Turin, Turin yeah. but unless the ink was right, everything was right. Uh, but they were copies, and it, they got through, and they they fooled a lot of very very sophisticated people, collectors, and so on. And it almost wasn't until somebody who had nothing to do with the book business. But new sort of printing and printing techniques, and they looked at it, and they noticed some of the spots on the pages that looked absolutely right exactly matched some of the spots on one of the originals that they were trying to compare it to, and they said, "Oh, something's wrong here <laughs> and and they through that figured out that the facsimile so it used to be that people would never have made forgeries of books they might forge a signature they might forge a print they might forge a little piece but it was too difficult mm. and too expensive to actually forge a whole book with modern technology modern printing modern science it actually now isn't that it's still a work of art
0: your forensic science then is is a key to going forward to yeah, it, uh, to prevent the uh, the scam artists i it, guess exactly
1: but most of what we have Most pe- of it is well we innocent. have people walking in off the street, uh people walking into the Antiques Roadshow, people walking into the lectures. You have to realize that they have the family lore, the story that went behind it, the hundreds of years it's been in the family, and you realize that you're gonna bring them down in in the millions of dollars that it might be worth. You have to bring them down easily because if you really just do it as sort of like, I know it all, you're wrong, look at how foolish and dumb you are. If you do that, people get really upset and angry, even if they end up agreeing with you in the end. But if you do it nicely, explain, try to let them down easily, they're still not happy because— their fortune just went out the window, but at least they don't feel like you're talking down to them. And that's probably one of the most important parts. Well,
0: that's what you do so well. And uh, you, you meet people every day at the store and in some of your searches. And uh, it's it's a job where you have to be uh, almost a, an armchair psychologist on occasion right? In occasion, and a it, counselor.
1: And the other thing that I've really learned is they might have a little pile of stuff. And on the top, you go, oh, that's just a facsimile. You don't want to do that, too, because sometimes you're sort of jumping to a conclusion. Right. You don't realize that that item underneath it actually is great. And if you're not nice or or just so dismissive at the top, you never get to see the next item down.
0: Good lesson for life along with the work you do. <laughs> hey, this has been great fun as always. And people are listening more and more to the Brattlecast. And uh, the audience is growing. We thank you for that. And if you have a question or you'd like Ken to take up a topic— there's there's no end to the possibilities, right?
1: And, and, and I actually love it when people email me in an item or call me in a suggestion because it's like, wow, I didn't think of that. Let's do it. Or if it's not a whole podcast, I can at least talk to them about that. And it might be one where we sort of put together three or four little subjects into one podcast. And the
0: way you do that to connect is brattlebookshop.com, brattlebookshop.com. Find out more about all of this, including the Brattlecast. Ken, thank you. This is Jordan Rich. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. I love doing it.